Turn with me to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. We're going to be in verses 6 through 12. I'll probably begin reading in verse 1 here in a moment, just as a background. When I was in basic training, uh, we did something called dorm guard. And uh, we, we would stand guard at the door of the dorm, and there was this glass window. And what you were supposed to do, if somebody put their ID up to that window, we were supposed to let them in. But what they would do sometimes is they would get a picture of Mickey Mouse and put it on their ID, and they would stick it up against the glass. Well, you were supposed to not let them in until they put their genuine ID against the glass. Well, some would let them in, and after some colorful language and some intensive uh, coaching and counseling, uh, they would uh, then be given another opportunity, usually in the same shift, uh, to determine whether or not to let that same individual in. And the reason for all of that was so that they could be prepared to stand guard during a time of war. Because you don't want to make a mistake in their time of war. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, are in a spiritual battle. Uh, the devil, the Bible says, the Scripture tells us, he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come so that we could have life and have it abundantly. And so... As God's people, we need to be prepared for this battle, to engage in this battle in the way that God has called us to do so. And uh, Joseph is a great example of how to engage in the battle in times of sexual temptation. And uh, Joseph, I can think of two places in Scripture that kind of stand out to me as times of severe temptation. One is the case of Jesus in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days, and the Bible says afterwards he was hungry, and the devil came to tempt him. I bet that was a severe temptation. Uh, but the time that we're talking about today is the case of Joseph. He also goes through a severe temptation, though it's a sexual temptation in his case, and he is severely tempted. All of us are tempted, right? Uh, if you are a member of the human race, you're going to be tempted to sexual sin uh, and tempted in general in your life. Uh, and so the, the temptation to sexual sin is a powerful one. But Joseph not only had the temptation to sexual sin, he had the temptation to sexual sin every single day. And he had the temptation... Uh, offered by somebody who was more powerful than he was. He was a servant. His master's wife was the one who was tempting him to adultery. Uh, and he knew if he rejected these advances, it could cost him. But he rejected them all the same. And in his rejection of these advances, we see some principles that we can build our lives upon to help us in times of severe temptation. Uh, so that's the title of my message, is Overcoming Severe Temptation. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 1. 
Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he had put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you were his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Uh, you could also translate that, he refused to be by her or to spend time with her. Um, now, one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the household servants were there, she grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. So, overcoming severe temptation. How do you overcome severe temptation? Well, first of all, before I get into the main content of this, you need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Most of us here probably do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but there's probably some that don't. Um, the Bible says that God will forgive our sin, uh, and He will send His Holy Spirit to live within us when we make a choice to turn from our sin in our own way to follow Jesus, and, and we receive Him as our Lord and Savior. Uh, this is made possible through Jesus' death at the cross as He took the penalty for our sins and he rose again. And the scripture says that when we make that choice, God sends his Holy Spirit to come live within us. And the reason I, I mention this first before I get into the content of this is because without the Holy Spirit, you are severely handicapped in your struggle against temptation. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need God and his strength and his power if we're to overcome severe, persistent temptation in our lives. And you can't have that power apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's, that's the, first, the first key. But the first thing we find here in our scripture uh, is found in verses 7 and 8. Uh, his master's wife in verse 7 looks at him longingly and says, Sleep with me. But he refused. That's the first thing, refuse the invitation. And it's not just a refusal of the invitation, but there's actually an attitude that goes along with this refusal. 
And that attitude is that we, we don't open the door at all to the temptation, right? Um, I, I was listening to a, a, a Christian counselor on the radio uh, probably a year or so ago. And, uh, and they were talking about this, that, that people um, who are open to sexual sin give off cues to that. Uh, and there, you know, it may be flirting, it may be just an openness to uh, be engaged with this person in a way that's not maybe the normal way of being engaged with that person, uh, and they're accused. And also, by the same token, those who are not open also give those nonverbal cues. They're completely closed off to it. Uh, and, and that's the attitude that goes along with this refusal. Uh, so it's a refusal, but it's a refusal with an attitude that accompanies it. And Joseph says, no, I won't. And, and he's not leaving the opportunity open at all. He's refusing to cooperate. Did this cost him something? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you read the rest of the chapter, you find how much it cost him. But even in the cost, God honors Joseph because Joseph honors God. And God rewards him for the sacrifice that he makes. Listen, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be sacrifices sometimes that we make when we stand for Jesus Christ. In the area of temptation, but in, in, in any area for that matter, especially in our culture, which is increasingly uh, set against the purposes and the truth of God's word. But stand we must. We need to refuse the invitation. Now, you can use that in the context of a temptation to commit adultery or to be involved in, in promiscuous behavior, sex before marriage, or uh, however you want to describe that. Uh, but you can also use that in terms of your mind. One of the reasons people often get into temptation is because their mind has already been going there. The Bible says, out of the heart are the issues of life. We talked about that last week some. Uh, but it is true. We need to have the attitude in our minds that we are unopened. We're not open at all to sexual temptation. Now, I realize God has made us, as human beings, He's made us with some basic drives and some basic needs. And those are to be fulfilled in the context of marriage between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Okay? Um, those, those desires in and of themselves are not wrong. They're something that God has placed within us. Uh, but how we respond to those desires when we're faced with the temptation uh, is something that is very critical. Because if we open our minds consistently to temptation, it can be uh, with media that we have out there. It could be uh, something you see at the movie theater. Uh, I saw somebody had a picture on Facebook that went back to the first movie. Um, it could be uh, something uh, on the internet that you see. It could be something on your television. But, or even in your music that you are feeding into your mind constantly. And it is provoking those desires of the old nature. And it's got you thinking in that vein. Okay, We need to just refuse it. Refuse it. No. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. 
And so um, as you're, as you're, if you're struggling, if a temptation comes your way and you're struggling, you can pray at that moment. And you can say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, quicken me in my heart so that I can make the right decisions here. And then choose to do what he wants you to do and redirect your thoughts, as we talked about last week, to what he desires. Uh, we, uh, David and I, my son David and I, had gone fishing uh, when he was a little boy. And I, this was in Texas. I caught a water moccasin. And so I'm, we're, we're up on a bank a little bit, you know, so I'm re- reeling it in and I see what it is. And so I've got it up on the bank a little bit, but I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this? And as I'm thinking this, this guy comes along, he's got a stick, a walking stick, and he takes it and he just starts wailing on this snake. I bet he hit that thing 25 times. Finally, the snake is not moving or showing any signs of life whatsoever, and I cut my line and I put a new hook on, and we were ready to go. But this man understood how to deal with the problem. He dealt with it decisively. He dealt with it clearly. And he wasn't giving any, uh, any, any grace at all to this snake. He just took care of the problem. That's what we need to do with temptation. Don't, don't try to set up a nice little place for the snake to sit. Okay, don't try to feed the snake, but keep your distance. Put it to death. Paul said in one scripture, he said, mortify the works of the flesh. Mortify or put to death the works of the flesh. Don't give it any place in your life. As you do that, it will become easier to do that. You know what? This is how sin works. When you give in to sin, it becomes easier to give in to sin. But when you choose to follow Christ, it becomes easier to follow Christ. And not as strong a pull to follow sin. And so as you make these decisions in your life, and you do this consistently in your life through the power of the Spirit, it's going to get easier and easier for you to do that. I'm not saying that you won't have a struggle. You will. But it will become easier to follow Jesus in that way. So refuse the invitation. Secondly, recognize the evil. Recognize the evil. If you look in verse 9, he tells her, How could I do this immense evil? And how could I sin against God? See, Joseph recognized the evil of what he was been asked to do. That's something that's kind of rare in our culture. People don't view sex outside of marriage as that big of a deal in our culture. They just don't. Matter of fact, uh, I've had people before that have come into the church. It's not even on their radar. And I mention it to them for the first time, and it's like, wow, really? Okay, I didn't even, even think about this. And, I mean, it's just that's where our culture is. We don't have an objective standard of right and wrong in our culture because largely our culture has abandoned God. But God has given each one of us a conscience, and in our conscience, we know when we violated it. We know. We feel it. We we sense the guilt within. We also have been given the commands of God, and he says, you shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He also 
has told us that we're not to commit uh, sexual sin outside of marriage. The Bible uses the word fornication, which is any kind of sexual sin outside the relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. That's the Bible's standard. God has given us that command, and he has told us this is wrong. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, if you were guilty of adultery, they would bring the man and the woman. This is what they were supposed to do. Now, I don't know how often this happened in history. But uh, they were to stone them to death. That's how seriously God took it. Also, if you were uh, caught being promiscuous, the same thing applied. You say, well, that sounds kind of severe. Well, that's because our standards are here and God's standards are here. But God also knew that if he allowed that sexual sin in the community of his people, that it would corrupt the nation. He knew it had to be nipped in the bud right away. Uh, or there'd be consequences. You see, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living within them in the same way that we do under the New Covenant. Jesus, when he talked with a woman at the well, um, she, he mentions that you know, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with now is not your husband. Now, he very gently pointed out that he knew exactly where she was, and he wasn't, wasn't being cruel to her, didn't pick up stones to stone her, but uh, he, he pointed out where she was, and she, he told her to go and leave her life of sin. You see, sin is a big deal to God. Now, thank God we're under the new covenant. We don't stone people for adultery now. Uh, that was the old covenant and the, the covenant that God made with Israel. The new covenant that we have through relationship of Jesus Christ is a spiritual covenant. The spiritual kingdom of God that will one day be a physical kingdom of God. But, uh, but Christ lives within us. He's our king. We're the subjects. And we follow him. So there's a little bit of difference there. But still, we need to recognize the evil of adultery. The evil of sexual sin. It's, I heard this week in California that they have changed the laws to make it easier for pedophiles to victimize kids. That's, that's an abomination. But that's where we are in our culture. We've lost all our boundaries. S sexual sin is a great evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, recognize it is forgivable. Praise God for His grace and for His forgiveness. By the way, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Word of God says. That's why we need God's forgiveness through Jesus. That's why we need the cross. Because Jesus had to pay for the sins that we've committed. So that we could have a relationship with God and not be fearful in that relationship, but have joy in His presence and boldness as we pray because Jesus has already paid it all. He's taking care of the problem. If you know Christ, you don't have to worry about hell when you die. Because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So, praise God for his grace. But recognize 
the evil. Now, by the way, when Joseph is talking about recognizing the evil, he mentions Potiphar. We didn't read that part of the verse, but he says, look. He says, my master Potiphar has been good to me. He's promoted me. He's put me over everything that he owns. The house, the fields, everything. Everything he's put under me. He's not withheld anything from me that I've asked him for. Except you. Because you're his wife. How could I do this to him? But more than this, how could I do this to God? You see, whenever we commit sin and there's evil in our lives, it doesn't just affect us. It affects other people around us, right? Uh, our, our families, um, our, our friends, our church, right? Uh, nobody's an island. Somebody said well, it's kind of like throwing a, a rock into the lake and you see the ripples go out. And uh, it, it, that action takes place, but there's ripple effects that go out from sin. So recognize the evil, not just the evil against other people, but the evil committed against God. Very important. So refuse the invitation. How do you overcome severe temptation? Refuse the invitation. Recognize the evil. Thirdly, resist the compromise. Resist the compromise. Look at verse 10. Although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. Now, the reason they translate that this way is because elsewhere in Scripture, it is translated that way in some cases. But I think in this case, it should be translated a little differently. Uh, he refused to be by her or with her, to spend time with her. Okay? So, she recognized, she, day by day, she's been tempting him. Come to bed with me, come to bed with me. Day by day, he's been saying, no, thank you, no, thank you, no, thank you. Um, and so she, she tries a little different tack, and she says, well, you know, if I can't get him to have sex with me, maybe I can get him to spend time with me and build a relationship with me so that he'll be more tempted to have sex with me. She had a plan. Um, but Joseph wouldn't have anything of it. He wasn't going to get himself emotionally entangled with someone else that wasn't his spouse because he knew it would make him vulnerable to sin. Now, this is something that's, that's very good for us to take and put into practice in our lives because uh, we're told by people who study these things that when you begin to get too emotionally involved with somebody of the opposite sex, it makes you vulnerable to adultery. If you tend to go to somebody other than your spouse of the opposite sex to tell them about your joys and your fears and your struggles, that's a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place to be. And there's a vulnerability there. By the way, this is how Satan works too. Satan tries to get us to take some steps that are, are not quite up to the actual act of sin, but that are just small little compromises. Well, there's nothing wrong with this, right? Uh, Charles Stanley, uh, a few years ago, shared a story uh, about a man in his church, and he was a businessman, and his, his secretary had quit, and he was hiring another secretary, and there were several candidates, and there was this woman that was really a beautiful woman, and 
he kind of sensed the Holy Spirit in it saying, you don't need to hire that lady. But he didn't listen. He hired her. And then he thought, well, you know, there's really nothing wrong with me going to lunch with her on a regular basis. He began to have lunch with her on a regular basis. Then he said, well, you know, there's really nothing wrong with me spending time with this lady after work hours. Before long, they slept together. His marriage was destroyed. He lost his job, and his life was in shambles. And he said, how I wish I had not compromised. Joseph understood this, and he made a wise decision. I will not compromise. I'll not put myself in that vulnerable position of allowing this relationship to develop in an inappropriate way. So we need to resist the compromise. First of all, refuse the invitation. Second, recognize the evil. Third, resist the compromise. Fourthly, run from the trap. Now, there's some things that Scripture doesn't tell us. Okay, A lot of ink's been spilled over things that the Scripture doesn't tell us. But Scripture doesn't tell us how this circumstance happened. Perhaps Potiphar's wife planned this, and she sent everybody to do things in other places so that she could have the house to herself. Perhaps the enemy is involved here. And he has worked out circumstances so that there's a unique situation of temptation. But however it happens, it happens. Look at verse 12. She grabbed him by... Oh, look at... Uh, back up. Uh, look at verse 11. Now one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there. This was different than normal. Usually there's other people in the house. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. Now, this is kind of a, the word that's used in Hebrew is kind of an intense word. In other words, she was not just putting the moves on him. She was really putting the moves on him, okay? That's kind of the sense here. Um, she, you know, it's kind of like in those cartoons where they got the eyes that look like hearts, but she's, she is ready. Um, and uh, she grabs him by the garment, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran to the outside. <clears throat> Run from the trap. I mentioned earlier, the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's devoured many people through the sin of adultery. This trap, whether it's laid by Potiphar's wife, whether it's laid by Potiphar's wife in conjunction with the devil who wanted to destroy Joseph and his potential for God. However it happened, there was a trap laid and Joseph had the sense to run from it. You don't need to try to flex your spiritual muscles when you're in the heat of temptation. It's like, well, you know, I just need to show how tough I am, how good I am at resisting temptation. No, that's stupid. Get out of there. Run. If somebody like Joseph had to run to get out there, I'm going to tell you, you and I need to run when we get into the heat of temptation. So he, he didn't mess around with it. He, he ran. He ran. Um, 
Have you ever had something that uh, just caused you to be so startled you ran? Uh, I remember one night I was, uh, I was laying in bed, and this boom, and I woke up. At first, I thought somebody kicked the door in. I grabbed my weapon, and I went to find out what was going on. But then I began to realize kicking in the door doesn't make the walls <laughs> move, you know. Uh, there's something different going on here. And uh, come to find out, somebody had been messing with a, with a little tank of butane, and it had exploded in the neighborhood. But, but it got me moving quickly. I, I was from a dead sleep to a sprint in just a couple of seconds because the situation was urgent, or at least I thought it was at the beginning. Recognize the urgency of a dangerous situation of temptation. You know, we need to be careful about where we are with people of the opposite sex. We need to make sure that we don't, through carelessness, put ourselves in a situation that could, could have devastating consequences for our lives. Um, I try to, to have boundaries in, in what I do in, in terms of being with people of the opposite sex for that reason. I don't want to allow myself to be in a tempting situation that would have dire consequences. You don't have to run from it if you're not in the situation in the first place, right? So uh, you might pray about that. Lord, are there some ways that I need to adjust my normal everyday practices? Now, obviously, you can't. You're going to be at work. There will be times where you're alone with somebody of the opposite sex. It can't be avoided. Okay? There will be times where, where that will happen. But as much as it lies with you, Lord, is there something I can do to kind of be wise in, in my relationships with other people? Is there something I'm doing that's going to get me into trouble or has the potential to do so? And, and lift that to God and ask God to work in your situation and show you uh, some steps to take with his wisdom. All of us are different. You know, some of us have, uh, your temptation may not be sexual temptation. We've been talking about sexual temptation. You may not have a real strong struggle. You still need to be careful. But you may not have a real strong struggle in that area. It may be in losing your temper, okay? <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're out there and you about come to blows with somebody on the highway. Uh, down in Texas, they, they know how to do it. I, we, were, we were listening to the news one night when we lived down there. And they were, there were two individuals that had road raids that were shooting at each other. Both of them had guns. They were shooting at each other as they drove down the highway. Um, if, if you have a temptation to take out uh, a gun and shoot somebody over road rage, maybe you don't need to be driving at rush hour. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm just using that as a silly example. But, but truly, we, we all have areas where we tend to struggle, right? And so... Ask God, Lord, give me wisdom in how to protect myself from getting in a, in a situation that would cause me to sin. That's a great thing. Listen, there's a blessing that comes with righteous living. Now, I know we don't earn our salvation. We believe that salvation is by grace. It's a gift of God. Praise God for that. I, I'd be in serious trouble if it weren't. 
But that doesn't change the fact that God has called us to live a life of righteousness. And that there is a blessing that comes with a life of righteousness. Um, as you learn to walk with God, not just in this area, but in, in the different areas of your life, you learn to walk more and more closely with Him. It's a process. And you learn to live a righteous life. There are going to be some blessings in your life, in your family, in your marriage, even at your workplace uh, that will come. And in your, just in your personal well-being. Uh, Philip was talking about joy and, and said, you know, don't, don't have joy, you know, uh, uh, because of the coronavirus, you know, don't, don't, uh, laugh, don't, don't sing, you know, those kinds of things. Well, the God has told us to have joy as what Philip was saying. Uh, and that's true. God has told us to have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. Can I tell you that righteousness is the pathway of joy? Jesus had something called the Beatitudes. You heard of those? Blessed is the man who, and he talks about something that this person does in his walk with God and the result that it brings in his life. Proverbs says uh, many times over, as you fear God, this is the blessing that comes. Psalms. I believe it's Psalms 112. This is the the blessings for the man that fears the Lord. Proverbs 31 talks about the blessings of the woman who fears the Lord. Both cases of the man and the woman, the blessings upon their lives, the blessings upon their family, their status and and, uh, uh, influence in the community, and all of these things are direct blessings that come in association with choosing to live a righteous life. Joseph had some blessings for living a righteous life. God promoted him after some pretty serious suffering. God promoted him, and he was the second over all the land of Egypt. And God used him to deliver his own people in a time of famine. Um, He was honored, he was blessed, he was uplifted, and his family was uplifted. And the blessing of God was upon his life. And if you look at the blessings of Jacob, his father, when he's blessing his different sons, aside from Judah, the blessings for Joseph were some of the best ones that were given. Why? He honored God with his life. Listen, that's the wise thing to do with your life. Yes, fight the battle against temptation. Yes, Make wise decisions so that you won't fall into sexual temptation. But don't just use the battle as your focus. Ask God to help you live a righteous life. Ask God to teach you how to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Because as you do, God will bless your life. It's just the way it works. It's the way God set up life to work. So... Overcoming severe temptation. Refuse the invitation, not even a hint of it. Recognize the evil. Resist the compromise and run from the trap. And these will be some wise things for you to put into practice in your life. If you know God uh, today, 
choose today to follow the Lord in this great example he's given us in Scripture. If you don't know the Lord, you need a relationship with him today. Uh, just want to, uh, I'm going to lift this up in prayer. Father, uh, I thank you for the word that you've given us today. Help us respond to this word, Lord. As your people, help us to be careful, Lord, in our relationships with others. Help us uh, to have pure hearts, Lord, and to, to discipline our minds uh, to turn away from what is evil. Help us, Father, not to fall into the snare of the evil one or the snare of others who would lead us astray. But, Father, help us to fear you and honor you and exalt your name with our lives. Help us live righteous lives as your people. And, Lord, for those who don't yet know Christ, I pray that today would be the day that they'd make that decision to give their heart to Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to just uh, ask for just a moment, if, if you don't yet know Jesus Christ, I want to just take just give you the Reader's Digest condensed version of what you need to know to begin a relationship with Him. First of all, you need to understand that you've sinned against God and that you're guilty before God because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and that's not just physical death, uh, that we experience when we die, but it's also eternal death in the lake of fire. It's also emotional death because we lose the joy of relationship with God. It's spiritual death because there is a barrier between us and God and no way for us to cross that barrier aside from the way that God has provided for us to cross it. And that's Jesus Christ. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that none of us has ever lived. He died the death on the cross that we deserved. The Bible calls his death a sin offering. He paid the price for our sin. He satisfied the justice of God in heaven for all sins, past, present, future. At one moment of time, at the cross... The wrath of God was poured out upon him. Scripture calls him our propitiation, which means wrath bearer. Uh, Jesus satisfied it all. And he made a way for us to have a relationship with God. The Bible says when Jesus died that the veil of the temple was ripped in two to show that now there was access to God. Um, Then Jesus rose again on the third day. And the scripture says that uh, if we will choose to turn from sin in our own way, to follow Jesus, and if we'll receive his gift of eternal life, God will save us. And save us from hell, uh, save us from separation from God, and he'll make us new and uh, give us a relationship with him. And he'll give us the Holy Spirit to help us fight temptation. So if you've not made that decision, I I just want to encourage you, if you're ready, don't do it if you're not ready. If if your heart's not surrendered to God or you're unwilling for it to be surrendered to God, uh, then don't do it. But if you're ready to surrender to God and follow Him and choose to follow Him, uh, then then, uh, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. 
and I can't save myself. Uh, I thank you that Jesus lived the perfect life I couldn't live.